And now, an interview with Zach Adams, the creator and writer of What Lies Beyond. Hi, everybody. I'm Devin Hoare, and I'm the director of What Lies Beyond. I also did the editing and sound design. And I'm Greg Suskin with Syntax Productions, and I made the website for Station Obscura. And we're here with Zach Adams, the writer of What Lies Beyond, to ask him a few questions about the show. Uh, so, What Lies Beyond started as like a single short story meant for film, but we asked you to turn it into a uh, three-part podcast. So, what difficulties did you run into during that process? Yeah, process was like, so it started as I had imagined a kind of Twilight Zone style show. Um, called What Lies Beyond, and what is now the three-part What Lies Beyond was the first episode of that. Uh, so it would be an anthology, like I was working on like a Western as the second one type of thing, but like with the supernatural, like sci-fi elements like Twilight Zone. But uh, so the first one was 20 pages, was very, very straightforward. It had the same dynamic of like being focused on the voice of Eliza, but in thinking of it as three acts that you know each of those episodes each of those needs to end and like really be its own contained thing while also adding to the bigger thing so i think i mean it helped me structure it a lot tighter um and then uh made me think about what each part of what was going to happen in it uh like what made that special and how that could be its own thing so in in thinking of it as an actual produced podcast rather than like just something I wrote. It was about sound environments, which I'm, I know is probably very annoying for you as you're editing it, but like the idea was like first act, spaceship, second act, surface of Mars, third act in this biosphere, um, which in that has several different sound environments. So to like have the adventure of like a space sci-fi story that you can feel through the audio while still keeping it like on that kind of radio um, style like person-to-person interaction but as far as it being difficult it i had written it like two years ago and had already been through drafts on that so um it was more just like a great opportunity to like reevaluate reapproached it had no lingering emotional connection to the work i put into that draft so i could kind of just tear it apart and use you know scrap it for what was good in it and what i or what i thought was useful So how about a quick plot recap for all the people who are somehow listening to this interview but didn't actually listen to the podcast? (laughs) So let's say that someone today, like, okay, Amazon was like, we created a fully artificially intelligent being that is indistinguishable from humanity and, like, but they just have one. And, And the idea is people decided that's way too dangerous to... Bring it to society. So let let's send that being to Mars, in like a environment for it to live in, and give it twenty years to like be let in its devices in an Earth-like environment and see what it does in it. And then twenty years from now, we'll send someone up there to evaluate if it is a dangerous being and if like what can be done differently. Obviously, that's like. In the premise, it's like giving a lot of patience to uh, a, like insane capitalist behemoth that would just not wait 20 years and Amazon would be like, no, we're just we're doing it. But the story of it is that that person, the evaluator, John Perry, who has an Earth contact, um, Eliza Rodriguez. And so they have radio contact and that's kind of 
what the the journey to Mars and to the biosphere to speak with the artificially intelligent being is grounded in. And then outside of that, there's a post-mission kind of briefing that Eliza Rodriguez is giving to the board of that company um, that, you know, um, kind of punctuates the that journey and, and kind, kind of brings of... us ahead to the next thing um, quicker because yeah. it is 15 minute episode so there's a lot to cover in that time and these uh, boardroom sections kind of are spliced into um, the action like the through line of him going to Mars him getting to the biosphere and then his experience in the biosphere and then within that you get these boardroom scenes yeah, boardroom, because you're bored by the exposition. <laughs> no, I, I tried to make it like, I think at the end of the podcast, you'll feel that those boardroom scenes are very relevant to the overall story, but um, it also had a function outside of that of just like, let's get it. Explain something. Yeah. Yeah, What Lies Beyond is sci-fi, and it takes place in the future. How does it kind of tackle artificial intelligence? In going into it, I am not like an artificial intelligence uh, genius, and I don't have anything like new to push forward. Besides, like if we're looking at like, for instance, Blade Runner and Ex Machina, great movies about artificial intelligence. I have nothing to go beyond those writers in that way. It's more like looking at it. And I think Blade Runner does this pretty well, but looking at it in an emotional way. And I think that's why, like, I mean, uh, making a podcast, you have to think like I generally write stuff that's not podcasts and thinking about what's good about having just a disembodied voice is like it can get really really first person what's the word intimate mm-hmm. so I think it, it was that like having a kind of guiding voice and and like dealing with it through in a, in a more like relationship emotional level and how it relates to memories I'm a big big fan of Twilight Zone and Rod Serling's work and so I think that was like I think Station Obscura and like what lies beyond are a little bit more about the characters. Who's your favorite character in a sci-fi movie? Damn, I don't know. I love, I guess, and this ties into what lies beyond. Actually, I really love Ex Machina, but uh, Oscar Isaac's character in that is pretty great. Ooh, the dance scene. The dance scene, gotta love it. I also am a big fan of the last Blade Runner movie, mm. and liked Ryan Gosling's character in that. That's a good movie. Harrison Ford. I felt like he didn't actually phone it in. No, he really punched Ryan Gosling in the face in that one. <laughs> oh, you mean like Han Solo in the last one? Yeah. In the Star Wars ones. Mm. Yeah. Indy 4. Indy 4, too. Oh, my God. Oh, I had seen it in theaters. Sorry to completely go. Actually, Indiana Jones is mentioned in What Lies Beyond. But uh, I had like seen it in theaters, and like in my head, it was kind of cool. I didn't get why everyone shot on it so hard. So we were like, oh, there's something salvageable here. And it, there's nothing. There's one joke in it that's pretty funny, and it has literally nothing to do with the plot and it's at a specific scene that could have been cut out of the movie <laughs> the joke being i thought you were a professor and he goes watch part time <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good if you could go to space tomorrow would you go to space uh <laughs> tomorrow no i gotta move soon so don't really have time for that <laughs> Do you think it would be faster to go up into space and back down or across with an airplane? Uh, Probably up and down, right? I mean, I'm driving, so you'd definitely you just go up and then you'd come back down and the earth does all the spinning for you. I guess it would depend. What what direction <laughs> does the earth spin? 
the Earth spins. Because like if if I'm going west and the Earth is spinning, I don't know. The Earth spins. If you went up here, you and you came back down, you'd be sunsets in every the west. 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 It spins like this. Is that th is that a thing? Sunsets in the west. Oh. It spins counter. Spins clockwise. <laughs> Yeah, see, this is, is this yeah. This is why I, this is why I can't write hard sci-fi. I'm writing like <laughs> writing like this character-driven sci-fi. He doesn't even know how the world spins. Yeah. Explain time travel <laughs> right now. Uh, loops. When you sit down in your writer's chair, you know, uh, about to get out the old uh, quill and and ink. You know, uh, what kind of beverages you get? You you get drunk to write? Yeah. What what do you what do you do? No drink a lot of seltzer and I drink a lot of coffee there's like a classic like coffee cup or like dumb fucking sticker on a laptop that's like dr uh, write drunk edit sober I get that I think people take it literally like actually get drunk and write and then when you're sober edit and maybe that worked for Ernest Hemingway but I think the idea is like not to edit while you're writing like you want to you want to be uh, in the zone. In the, well, yeah, or not critical of yourself as you're writing. Because, like, I can say there has never been a first draft that I've written that's not terrible. And, like, I think what is uh, important is, like, finishing the terrible first draft and then being like, okay, what's good in here and what do I actually want this to be? And then you shape it and stuff. And I, I would be very surprised if someone, a writer, came out and was like, everything on my first draft comes out fully formed, it's great. But I think like a lot of people, people I know that want to be writers are unable to finish things because they write like three pages and then freak out about how shitty it is and then like try to start again. And they just keep doing it over and over and over. But getting drunk is not the answer. <laughs> like you just got to like, like give yourself a break. And generally I think those people are also ultra critical of other people's work. And I think that's probably a symptom of, of that or like... Every, everything that's finished is like a success story. Not to get too personal, but we've been like recutting the Pirates of the Caribbean movies because we love them. The idea of like looking at Pirates of the Caribbean 4, which is like got like a what, 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, pretty universally panned and just ignored by like anybody wanting to be critical of things, being able to watch that and be like looking past maybe some of its faults to find like, oh, there's like good stuff in here. It's like a form. Well, it's a form of rewriting. It's like drafting a new version of the movie. We just don't have the opportunity to add more in. Like right. you can, so What Lies Beyond, for instance, like there were times where in, in first drafts, I realized like there's like a little bit of space that needed to be covered before I could like jump to the next thing that I wanted to get to. You were a young writer once. What's, young. yeah, what's like a, what's like a early writing of, of Zach that you remember? <laughs> the first feature I ever finished writing what is called sale and it was about so i wrote it's like about like five friends from high school that get together later in college to in the summer to do like a three-day long sailing trip to this like rich kid they went to high school with like cabin on the lake for a party and i like set it up to be very moody and stuff it was like in a screenwriting class that i started this and i remember my professor being like like I just kept avoiding any conflict or anything happening. It's just people like moodily staring off of 
fucking boat. Like, it's, I couldn't remember if I could swear or not. But and thinking about things. Yeah, I just go on it. Like I and I like rode in. I mean, this is a, it's a classic thing. Don't ever like listen to people that tell you not to do anything in screenwriting. But it is a pretty classic thing that people tell you. Don't write in needle drops. And I wrote in like every single scene had a song that was probably very, very expensive to buy the rights to. And I was like, you know, play George Harrison at this scene. Like, like anyway, that that's like, I've not looked back at that and I won't, I refuse to. Uh, that's actually going to be our second show on, uh, on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wrote a, I wrote a, the beginning half of a Western based on Dante's Inferno and had only read half of Dante's Inferno. <laughs> and like, like didn't understand what I was dealing with at all. Just didn't know anything about it. I was like, oh, this would be cool. And then uh, it sucked, it was like really bad. All right, so like just one one small piece of advice for like a young writer trying to, trying to get better at writing. Well, I mean, it's exactly like what I said earlier. And I think like, for instance, the sail, sailing boat thing and the D Dante's Inferno movie those aren't like thrown out forever and I think like that's the big thing like any good stuff is generally stuff or that for me at least is stuff that sat around an idea that I like explored a bit knew it wasn't right like there at the time didn't know what to do with it so you just let it sit and then revisit and have the patience with yourself to like make a bunch of mistakes and I think the same goes for if you're on assignment like this like I gave you guys finished drafts of this whole show within a month and but like went through four drafts and like the first drafts were bad and to be able to like the next day read what you had written be like easy with yourself get through that bad first draft and then be able to like tool it into something usable and hear other people have issues with even things I think are good and like really consider that as like maybe this is a better idea than my idea I think like that's the big thing. I think I think within the ego of like a writer, there's a lot of like pressure you put on yourself to be like the smartest or the one with the best ideas all the time. But that's literally never the case with anybody, even like David Foster Wallace. I'm sure there's some people he talked to that had some cool ideas about stuff. And I think there's no, I think, I think it would be ridiculous or putting yourself at a disadvantage to uh, be too proud about <laughs> your work and like allow it to kind of get like fed through the meat grinder a bit what's your favorite scene from the show i like the campfire scene in, in episode two i think like that was always meant to be the scene that's there to like solidify john and eliza's uh like bond and to to have what happens in the later episodes or later part of two and then in episode three um carry a little bit more weight I'll have none of this shaming from you. I'm with you like 24 seven here. In what possible scenario would I have time to eat real food? Uh, do they not deliver pizza to top secret space stations? You'd be surprised. Um, thanks by the way, for everything. Uh, sticking with me, keeping me grounded. I don't know if I'd still be here without you. You are very welcome. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with how a lot of that scene goes. Yeah, so with What Lies Beyond, what kind of media and stories and things would be um, additional reading slash additional like, content to consume like related? I already mentioned Ex Machina and Blade Runner. Those are very clearly uh, influences on it. But then the third episode is heavily inspired by the early chapters of Dracula. 
it when John Harker is like a captive kind of inside of Dracula's castle. I was actually inspired by a podcast that I listened to that I cannot remember the name of about the Biosphere 2, which is a real thing that we'll happened. Oh, what's your name? Adrian. Oh my God. We'll do a voice vocal insert. Listen to this. <laughs> oh my God. What's your name? This is, that's very lame. The podcast Zach is referring to is Nice Try, and the episode is called Biosphere 2, The Theater of Utopia. So, Biosphere 2, worth looking into, great podcast episode that I cannot remember the name of about it, and then there's, but recently a, a documentary came out called Spaceship Earth, which I have not watched, but it's about Biosphere 2, which in this, in the world of What Lies Beyond, that happened, and then but like ended differently than it did in real life. And so Biosphere 3 happened. And then Pygmalion. So, so the name Eliza comes from the actual like first, like one of the early AIs to ever exist. But then it also is the name of the lead character in this play Pygmalion that ended up become, which I think Eliza, the AI, was named after that character. Um, that play ended up becoming My Fair Lady, which a lot of people know better. It's like a musical version of it. Or like, there's like a Freddie Prince Jr. high school movie that is a remake of it. Basically, yeah, Eliza's name and Higgins' name both come from that play, um, which is like the classic like, oh, this like lower class woman that's like unappealing, like these men will like make her over and make her presentable. But then within the process, one of the men falls in love with her. That's like, what Pygmalion is, and that's what you know all those stories are. And then I, I had made a list because I, I I knew you were gonna ask me that when I asked you to ask me about it. Um, oh, okay. The last one is Moon. Oh, dude, Moon. Moon is awesome. That's that, just a banger. That I mean, goddamn, to have like such a high concept movie where you only have one. I guess there's an actress that's on screen, but like it's really one actor the whole time. Really incredible movie and Sam Rockwell does really well and he used to walk his dogs in my neighborhood in New York he looked really angry but I'm sure he's very nice he just didn't want people to fuck with him <laughs> Sam Rockwell is one of my faves for show he's a good actor and then Silent Running which legit it's this 70s uh, sci-fi movie with uh, Bruce Dern that I have not watched but I was inspired by the like art on the cover of it, <laughs> which is like, he's like in a garden in a spaceship, like floating around. Uh, it's like this really lush looking thing and always meant to watch it, but you know. Hey, might've tainted the vision, you know, you, you only wanted to look at the cover <laughs> Yeah, that art. sweet, sweet vision. <laughs> um, yeah, the, well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it's underrated how much people can be inspired by like just surface level shit. Yeah. Like, you know, the movie Good Time? with Robert Pattinson's the Safdie Brothers movie. It's a really cool movie, but he, he, Robert Pattinson basically hit up the directors to make, cause he wanted to make a movie with them because he had just seen a still image of a movie that they had made and he thought it looked really cool. He didn't even watch the movie. Wow. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, we can uh, link off to a list of the like the media that Zach was just talking about in like the show notes and all that, that that's what podcasters say right we're podcasters now uh, <laughs> <laughs> so moving forward you know with your life what kind of stuff do you want to be writing and what 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 are your plans you know I really like satire 
Um, I mean, we'll be, we'll see. I'm going to USC for film, so I'll get to see uh, what the vibe is there. It'll be interesting. It's all remote, and we're going to be doing filmmaking, so I don't know what that will mean. But uh, but being up here in Vermont, I've spent a lot of time like looking into Vermont history, and I think. The, the the big thing I'm like currently like holding dear that I would like to make at some point is like a gothic comedy about uh, grave robbers and like drawing from like you know some classic horror movies in in terms of visual style but then like kind of marrying the grotesque in both horror and comedy I don't know that'd be fun yeah what lies beyond is Station Obscura's first story. At Station Obscura, we make three-part miniseries audio dramas, which highlight new writers and try to work with Vermont talent to bring these stories to life. If you have an idea for a script for Station Obscura to produce, please go to our website at stationobscura.com to check out the open submission link there. And we'll be producing one story per season. So we'll have a winter, spring, summer, and fall story each year. And you could be the next writer for Station Obscura's next three-part audio drama. What Lies Beyond is a syntax and motion production of a Station Obscura story. Created and written by Zach Adams. Directed by Devin Hoare. Produced by Alyssa Galagani. Editing and sound design by Devin Hoare. You can support Station Obscura by sharing this story. Find us on Twitter at Station underscore Obscura. 